I was in uh, Missouri, Brother Tom Smith, uh, he, his last year as the pastor, he had a conference and Brother Weiss was taking over for him. Um, Brother Weiss, I've known Brother Weiss for a few years and gives me a, a great deal of static. And so he gets up to introduce me and he says, uh, in our conference, we have wanted to bring somebody in old and experienced and give great wisdom to you. But he couldn't come, so we got Brother Harbin. Turkey. Amen. Just to give you a little bit about myself, uh, uh, I was saved in 1978, July 16th, 1978, uh, at the camp where uh, I originate from. I had made a profession in 1973, even went off to Bible college, came back. I had repeated a prayer, and they told me I was all right, so I believed them. In 1978, under the preaching of my pastor and from several other very great preachers, God dealt with my heart, and I got saved, 1978, July the 16th. Uh, my wife and I have been married since 1973. We'll experience our 50th anniversary on September the 1st. We have four children, 10 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. So, yeah, I'm old. You know, it's either you're old or you're dead. Okay, come on. Yeah, that's what happens. Amen? And uh, I've been... Uh, preaching now for 47 years, 40, it's a long time, and uh, I pastored for 34 years, the same church in Dubuque, Iowa, uh, the Lord blessed in that ministry, uh, Lord led me to go into evangelism at 59 years old, uh, I had, uh, the church had been doing well, the first 15 years I'd worked a full-time job, we started in a storefront three doors away from the X-rated theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really good place. And uh, we had worked our way up, and the Lord had granted us. We had an old building, and then we ended up with a, a very, very nice building. Uh, actually, I believe some of you have been there. Uh, a few of you have been at that building. Uh, Lord had blessed, and I'd finally gotten in a full-time position. Uh, and things were going well, and the church was growing. We were running about 110, 100, between 100 and 120. And the Lord said, okay, it's time for you to leave. Uh, well, wait a minute. I just got to the place where it's good. What do you want me to leave for? And he said, no, no, it's time for you to leave. Took a few months to convince me. I'm hard-headed and stubborn and bullheaded. Uh, some of you resemble that remark. And uh, um, so uh, uh, went full-time into evangelism. Now, uh, I didn't want to stay at the church. I had to bring another man in to pastor the church. I recommended a man to the church. And I, I felt I would be in the way if I stayed. Brother Humphreys has been able to stay here. Uh, I, I, and, and it's worked well, and I've seen it go well, and I appreciate that. Uh, I needed to leave. I believe God wanted me to leave, and so I started looking for a church to go to that I could agree with not just doctrinally, but philosophically. There's a lot of things involved in that. I met Brother Taylor. I wanted a pastor who was going to stay a long time. I didn't want somebody who's going to be there a couple of years and leave, and then uh, that was him. Uh, several other pastors wanted me to come to their churches. Now, they wanted me to come because my wife is an accomplished pianist, okay? They didn't want me. You, you go preach. Leave your wife here, okay? And, uh, and I knew that. And, uh, but Brother Taylor, who was a lot younger than me, in fact, uh, three of my four children are older than him. And uh, I asked him, I said, will it be a problem for me to be here? And he said, no. He says, I prayed about that and had the church pray about it. And 
and we think it's good. He's been a good pastor. It's been a great church. They've been a tremendous help. We've been there nine years now and uh, been out on the road. Uh, and so God has blessed in those areas. Uh, actually did go to college. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. And, uh, and it didn't go well. Amen. I have, I have letters after my name. They don't spell much of anything. But uh, uh, so all of that. But I don't view that as being important. I believe the issue of my calling and surrender, salvation, my family, I think those are much more important. Uh, the, the college was a necessary evil. That's what I consider it to be. It's something that was necessary that I needed to get. But uh, what I think is important is the fact that God saved my soul. And I have a good wife. I have not a good wife. I have a great wife. She knows me. She's not intimidated by me. Uh, she does not have any problem of telling me when I preach a bad message. <laughs> People say, boy, Brother Harvin, we really enjoyed that. I get down, she looked at me, and she said, what was that? <laughs> uh, I thought it was pretty good. She said, well, it wasn't. And uh, so uh, you'll get to know me a little bit through the week. Some of you already know me. I have a reputation. My initials are BH, brutally honest. Uh, I, I don't have any tact. I don't, uh, I don't know how to go around about things. If I don't like something, I'll say so. You don't have to worry about what I think because I've already told you I'm not that deep, okay? That's not a problem. So let's get started this morning. Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. Let me get all that preliminary stuff out of the way. Um, now, I'm not... Uh, two things I, I want to tell you. First of all, I'm not really sure where I am right yet. Uh, I think my brain is somewhere in Seattle and it's trying to catch up to me, okay? Uh, I, I, I went through three plane changes uh, and, and I'm getting old. Uh, okay, I am already old. Um, but uh, uh, it takes a while to adjust. You know, when you're younger, you bounce back faster. When you get old, you don't bounce back. In fact, you don't bounce at all. Amen. Uh, so it, it, the problem, and here's the problem that you will have to endure with. The tireder I get, the goofier I get. Okay? And so if it gets a little strange, just nod your heads and say, oh, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll give him another day and see if it goes well, goes better tomorrow as it did today. So uh, you be in prayer for me. Also, uh, and you can ask your pastor about this, I have learned one real thing about Fairbanks, Alaska. When you go to Arby's, never ask for extra mayonnaise. Never ask for extra mayonnaise. Now, if you want to know what that means, ask your pastor because he'll tell you. Because that's what I did and it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, starting at verse number 6, if you will, we'll read down through verse number 19. It says, Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the, ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak of the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the time you've given. Thank you for these people who've come out. I ask you, Lord God, that you'll clear my mind. I ask you, Lord God, that your spirit will fill me and use me this morning. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll touch hearts with the messages that will be preached today from your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Romans is the first of the epistles. It's interesting because it is not the first epistle written. Probably 1 Thessalonians is the first epistle written. But it is put in after the book of Acts, and it gives us the order of the epistles it's set up. It was set up in about 163, 164 A.D. when it was put, oh, when the New Testament was finally all put together. Though it is not the first written epistle, it being the first epistle in order. We get most of our New Testament church doctrine from the epistles. Now, there are some things that we draw from the Gospels and even some things that we draw from the Old Testament. But most of our doctrine is drawn from the epistles. These are the, this is what God has instructed the Apostle Paul and some others to help in those matters. The book of Romans opens up dealing with the issue of salvation. Interesting that the first of the epistles is about salvation. You know what's important to you and me? Salvation. Amen. Because if we're not saved, none of the rest of it matters. Amen. So it starts out with that. And the first three chapters of the book of Romans deal with the condition of man. He is lost. He is undone. He's a sinner by nature, both by birth and by practice. That we come forth from the womb telling lies. We're told over and over and again through the book of Romans, through the first three chapters specifically, and even in chapter number two, chapter number two points out those who act righteously, their righteousness is sin, which is verified later on in the, in the epistles when it talks all our righteousness are as filthy rags. The idea of sin is presented us in the first three chapters. In fact, verses number nine through verse number 19 of chapter number three are generally all quotes from the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is quoting the Old Testament. So when, when people try to tell you that there was a different salvation in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament, they need to read the Old Testament, amen, because there's not a different, you are saved by grace through faith, the same as they were, they look towards the cross, we look back to the cross. That's, there, there, there's only one salvation, there's only one way into heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is established there. In chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, we have presented to us our propitiation. The idea of a propitiation is just in the place of. We have the one who took our place. 
That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is presented to us in that portion of Scripture at the end of Romans chapter 3. The end of Romans chapter 3, you'll also see him referred to as the just and the justifier, which is rather interesting. Being the one who's just is actually a statement that he's God. Because he is just, he has the right to judge. Therefore, we have a conclusion that Christ is God. But then it declares that he is the justifier. So he is the one who has the right to judge, but he is also the one who can justify us and create a situation where our sin is paid for by him. Propitiation in the place of. That is declared in the last part of the book of Romans in chapter number three. In chapter number three, that's presented. In chapter numbers four and five, we move to a situation of faith and grace. Those two things are presented to us in the issue. And look at the pattern of salvation. It's so simple. You're lost, you're undone, you're on your way to hell. Christ is the answer, and you have to put your faith in Him. And it's because of the grace of God that you can be saved. The implications of repentance is pointed out because of the fact that we are sinners, and when we realize the fact that we are sinners, regardless of the life you say you've lived, you are a sinner. Care who you are. I've been raised in church all my life. I've never done anything wrong. Well, first thing you've done is lied right there. Yep. Amen. Okay, so you're now a liar, and, and you're just going to add to that. So that's the condition that we're in. And so by faith, look at me, Rome, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter number 5. I want you to see Romans chapter number 5, and you see this clearly pointed out. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, here's that, we have peace with God. Now we have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the two things presented to us there are faith and grace. Those things are presented to us in our life. By faith, I've trusted him and I've made peace with God. Amen. That's our salvation. We come down to the end of chapter number five, and it declares something about the issue of sin and grace. And it tells us where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. It is making a statement at the end of Romans chapter number five, and it is declaring that it does not matter. It does not matter how much a person has sinned. There's enough grace to save them. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm glad about that. I'm extremely glad about that because I come from very wicked people. And there was en there's enough grace to take care of all the sin. And I was a very, very wicked and vicious and awful individual. That's my condition. And there was enough grace to save me. Amen. So where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So it doesn't make any difference what a person's condition is. God has enough grace to save them. Can I tell you something? God even has enough grace to save Pelosi. Did you know that? We always talk about, boy, we'd sure like to see get rid of her, you know, and all this other, and Kamala Harris and the rest of that crowd. But what happens if they got saved? Have you ever thought about that? What, can you imagine if Pelosi got up and gave a testimony of salvation and changed her ways? My goodness, the repercussions of that would be absolutely huge. Of course, the average conservative is praying for her to die. 
Well, amen. That's a real Christian attitude, amen? Die and end up in hell. We should be praying for God to save her. Uh, also, Romans talks about that in Romans chapter 13, if you're interested. Anyway, we come to the end of chapter number five. We get into chapter number six and we say, okay, well, God has made a statement. And you, can, you can tell that Paul is talking to Baptists. Okay, you say, how do you know? Well, if we're sin abounded, grace did much more abound, then we should sin more so that we can have more grace. That's Baptists right there. Baptists have, we've always trying to finagle things. And you know what Paul says? Should we sin that we have more grace? God forbid. What is the matter with you people? Amen. Where's your brain at? You know, that's Bob Harbin paraphrase, just so you know. And so that's the way I would say it. And you see that in the opening of chapter number six. But then he does something. And this is where I'm finally getting to where I want to speak to you about. In chapter number six, he deals with our sanctification. Now, listen to me. I'll make a couple of points here before I get going on this chapter number six. Salvation's declared. And as soon as we deal with the issue of salvation, he talks about sanctification. This idea and it's being presented throughout Baptist circles, that you can get saved and take Jesus as Lord later on down in your life is not in the scriptures. The idea is you get saved and he's the Lord. And he will begin a work in you. Amen. And there will be a difference. This idea that folks repeat a prayer and that, okay, and 10 years later, they start living for God. I'm sorry, there's something wrong with that. I had a man in our church. His name was Tony Johnson. He was my assistant pastor. His uh, sister was a member of another Baptist church. There were only like two or three Baptist churches in the city of Dubuque. Unlike what I understand you have in Fairbanks here, you have tons of Baptist churches. But in Dubuque, we had three in a city of 62,000 people. And ours was the biggest one at 100, at 100 people. So that gives you some idea. It was 90% Roman Catholic. So his sister invited him over to this church and it, it, the doctrine of the church was questionable. It had a lot of easy believism, that kind of stuff. And Tony asked me, he says, Preacher, what do you think about me going over there for their revival meeting? I said, you need to go. Go see. So he did. He went over there and saw. Now, my pastor told me something. He said, you're going to pastor a church like you are. They're going to become like you. Okay. I'm loud. Uh, I'm boisterous. Uh, I, I shoot off my mouth. And those are my good qualities, okay? And uh, so Tony went to this church, and they, they had on the wall, they had this uh, little thingy on the wall, and it said 400 and some odd uh, number on it, 406, 408, something like that. And the pastor pointed at that. This is during the service, okay? pointed at that, and he said, we've had 406 people saved this year. Now, there are about 60 people at the revival meeting. This is on a Monday night. And about 60 people at the revival meeting. And Tony sitting there said, where are they? And the pastor went, what? Tony said, well, where are they? If they got saved, why ain't they here? When I got saved, I went to church. You know, they never invited him back for another revival meeting. <laughs> never did. Well, that was their mistake. 
And, and this is a philosophy that has inundated our churches and has made a huge mistake. I live in Oklahoma. Everybody in Oklahoma is saved. Oh, no kidding. Everybody in Oklahoma is saved. They have all repeated the prayer in Oklahoma. As they sit on the porch, drinking their beer, smoking their cigarettes, and cussing and swearing like a sailor. Oh yeah, I've done that. Yeah, you're going to die and go to hell is what's going to happen here. I had one man in Dubuque come up to me, drunk out of his mind. He says, yeah, I'm one of your converts. And I looked at him, I said, yeah, you're one of mine. You're obviously not one of God's. And uh, um, this is the issue. This is the situation. God presents sanctification in our lives immediately after salvation. There's going to be a change. You don't think like, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we had a guy, by, by way of example, I don't have a, a, a clock anywhere, so you're stuck with me. That's all I can say. Anyway, in our church, when I was a church member back in 1978, we had this fellow come. Uh, his name was Mike Renderconet. He came to our church services, all right? Mike Renderconet Mike sang in a rock group. He was a skinny Guy about five foot seven, five foot eight. He was a white kid, and he had an afro that was this big. Okay, this thing it covered his face, and the afro went out. It was like this big, and if you sat behind Mike during the preaching service, you couldn't see the pastor. It's like, where did the pastor go? You know, we can't see him at all. So you, no, nobody wanted to sit behind Mike. Of course, unless you wanted to go to sleep, you could sit behind Mike. The pastor couldn't see you, and. Uh, so he came to several services, uh, and he showed, uh, one of the members of our church had invited him, came to several services, and Mike got saved. The following week, I come into church, and I come into church, and a fellow is standing, at the, standing inside the vestibule, and he says to me, he says, hi, Bob, how are you doing? He shook hands, and I look at him, I have no idea who this guy is. And I look at him, I'm like, oh, hi. Huh? And he says, you don't recognize me, do you? And I said, no, who are you? He said, I'm Mike Renderconet. He'd gotten his hair cut. Okay, the preacher had never mentioned that. But God did. That's how God works. You get saved. He moves inside. And sanctification begins. Now, too often when we deal with sanctification in the life of a person, we get talking about outward appearances, okay? You women get your dresses, all you women got to wear dresses, and all you men got to cut your hair. And in my day, everybody had to shave. Obviously, that has gone out the window, and uh, nobody shaves him. I'm one of the few guys that actually uses a razor anymore. Uh, now, that was because, let me explain something, that's because of the hippie movement, all right? Uh, you need to understand, hippies were big, and, and, and preachers were down on. I never saw uh, the first bearded Baptist preacher I saw was in 1984. Okay, and I'd been in church since 1973. And, but, and, but if you go back 100 years, all the Baptist preachers had beards down to here. So, But it, it was because of the hippie movement and the reflection of the hippie movement. I'm not saying having a beard is a bad thing. Don't misinterpret, okay? And uh, so anyway, you, you came in. In this portion of scripture that's set before us here, he begins to talk about the beginning of sanctification in your life. And he uses a word. It's an interesting word. It is the word yield. 
The word yield is used 12 times in the New Testament. Five times it is used in this portion of Scripture. And he talks about the yielding. He says to us that sin no longer has dominion over us. That means rule. When, when you're lost, sin rules your life. Back in the 60s, my generation, my generation, we're the ones that got the Bible kicked out of, out of school. Everybody in my generation, as I said, the hippie movement and all that kind of stuff, we were all rebelling and going to do our own thing, and we all looked alike. You know, all the guys had long hair. You know, all the girls had the mini skirts. We were all doing our own thing, and we all looked alike. We weren't doing our own thing. We were following after sin. So, so when you see people today, and I'm amazed at the different colors of women's hair, okay? You know, I, uh, there's, a, there's a, this little girl at the gas station that I go all the time uh, in Duncan, and each week her hair is a different color, okay? Sometimes it's blue, sometimes it's orange, sometimes I don't know what color. And then one time it came in, it was three different colors. Listen, say, what's the problem? Uh, uh, she needs to straighten it out. No, her problem is sin. She's doing what everybody else is doing. Uh, you, you walk through, you, you, I, I'm in the airport, and I'm watching people go by, and it's 15 million different colors of hair uh, on, on women. And, and Okay, when I was a kid and you had blue jeans with holes in them, it meant you were poor. Apparently, I was a, 50 years ahead of my time. Now, if you have blue jeans with holes in them, that means you're rich, okay? I, I, I must have been, something must have been wrong. I really thought, you know, that we, we, I had holes in my blue jeans, and, and everybody, everybody, oh, that's terrible. I, I didn't know I was such an advanced individual. And, uh, and people actually cut out holes in their blue jeans, or somebody does, and they sell them for $100 a pair. Give me a pair of blue jeans for 20 bucks, and I'll take care of that for you, and I'll only charge you another 10. Amen. It's not a problem. But apparently, this is a big deal. And, uh, but they're just following sin. It's because sin rules in the heart of somebody who's lost. When you got saved, it no longer has dominion over you. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6. Sin no longer reigns in your life. You have the opportunity now to yield yourself under righteousness. Because the Holy Ghost is in you, you can now be different. Well, I considered that word yield, and I sat and thought about it, and got in, in, in my mind going on it, and I realized, you know what? There are certain rules that come from that word yield that I... I saw in there. Now, now, you with me? Pay attention now, because this is important to where I'm going. I know it may not look important, but it is. I see four rules involved with the word yield. Now, I was going to use the word principles, but when you say principles to Baptists, they ignore them. These are rules, okay? Let me show you some things about this word yield involved with some rules about it. The first thing that I saw involved with yield is the idea of submission. To yield. Hey, how many have driver's license? You got a driver's license? Okay. 
You drive around, okay, uh, the majority of you are adults, and the teenage boys are waiting to get one, amen. And uh, God help us all from teenage boys. Uh, but anyway, that yield sign means this, you give right of way, amen? Listen, it means the same thing here. I am to yield myself to the Lord and His righteousness. I am to submit myself unto Him. Now, gentlemen, we all like to remind our wives of Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands. Amen? Yeah, I saw that, Pancrets. You're going you're gonna to be in trouble. It, it's, you're sunk. You know that, right? Okay. All right. He's over there nudging his wife. Yeah, uh, yeah, woman, yeah. If you noticed a couple of verses before that, it says to submit yourselves to each other. See? And may I say this, gentlemen? That verse that says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband, is an instruction for the wife to do, not for you to tell her. God's telling her, and she makes that choice. Actually, gentlemen, verse number five, 25 of Ephesians chapter 5 is more prevalent and apparent and necessary for you. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Gentlemen, here's your responsibility to your wife. You're to love your wife to the extent that you give yourself for her. You're her protector. You're her provider. You are the, you, listen, you want to deal with instruction. You want to point out verse 22 to her. Be careful. She'll point out verse 25 to you. And there's a whole lot more to 25 than there is to 22. Give you a little ammunition, ladies. He gives you a hard time saying, well, <laughs> you ain't doing 25. You want me to do 22, when are you going to do 25? Interesting thing that I've noticed in the scriptures, and this is, this is Bob Harbin chasing a rabbit, and that's because my brain still haven't caught up. Um, but uh, interesting thing, the Bible commands men to love their wives, and it never commands the wife to love her husband. Did you know that? It says for her to reverence her husband, later on in that. It says for the elder women to teach the younger women to love their, uh, love their wives. And I say, why is that? I don't know why. I, su I surmise that the man naturally has been given the ability by God to love. So, well, wait a minute. A woman has a greater love. Now, are you sure about that? You need to study the scriptures. Okay, now that I've made everybody mad at me, we'll move on to other things. Submission. You're to, submit, you're to submit yourself. You are a subject of a new king, a new rule, a new life. The second thing I see is the issue and the rule of surrender. You say, well, isn't surrender like submission? No, actually, it's a little bit more so. And I have any military men in here? Anybody that was in the military? If you were in the military, raise your hand. Okay, you were in the military. What branch? Air Force. Now I want an Army guy. Who's an Army guy? Who's an Army guy? Bring, come on up here. Come on, Army guy. Get up here. Come on. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's the Army. Get him. <laughs> okay. You were in the Army, right? I am in the Army. You are still in the Army, right? Okay, what is your rank? E5. E5. No, give me private, corporal. Sergeant. 
Sergeant. Oh, yeah, that's good. Okay. All right. I'm a captain. You're a sergeant, right? Okay. You've been called into my office. Tell me what you do. Show me what you do. Okay. Now, what do you do? Continue. Don't you salute? Not endorsed. Oh, okay. We're standing on the parade ground. What do you do? Okay. All right. Now, what are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting for your direction. Orders, right? Very good. Now you can go back and sit down. All right. Hey, Marmon, you guys, just is so cooperative. He's waiting for orders. Do you know that the word yield means to present oneself? Did you know that? It is a military term. You'd be surprised how much military terms are in the New Testament. It's huge. You are to present yourself. Yes, sir. What would you have me to do? I surrender my will to my commander, my captain. He is referred to as the captain of our salvation. I, I am yielding. That's what the idea of yielding is. I am presenting myself to him. What do you want me to do? Now, here's something I discovered as I was studying this. Do you know I discovered that there's two types of surrender? There's conditional surrendering and there's unconditional surrendering. Did you know that? Two types of surrender. Conditional surrendering and unconditional surrendering. Conditional surrendering is this. In the Civil War, a Union... Uh, um, Colonel was attacking a fort and was defeating that fort. The Confederate colonel came out to the Union colonel and said to him, uh, we'll surrender under conditions. So he is saying to him, uh, we'll give up, but we have some rules about our giving up. The Union colonel said, no, go back into your fort. He went back into the fort. They continued to oppress and attack that fort until finally the colonel set out, came out and said, we'll surrender unconditionally. And that's when he accepted the surrender. Now, a lot of Baptists will surrender to God conditionally. Amen. Yes, Lord, I'm here. I'm here. Yes, sir, Lord, I'm here. I'll do things, but I have these letters of, I have these conditions that I'm not going to do. Lord, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to teach a Sunday school class. I, I, I just can't do that. No, no, I can't no, I, no, I teach. And, and Lord, I want you to understand, I can't sing in front of the church. No, I can't do that either. No, no, no. Uh-uh. Uh, and, and Lord, I, I can't be a missionary. I can't be a pastor. I can't be a preacher. I, 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 you, you surrender with conditions. May I say to you, that's not surrendering. God doesn't accept that. That's unacceptable to him. You know what it is? I surrender. You tell me what to do. And I'll do what you tell me to. Listen, I wasn't real excited about going into evangelism. I was 59 years old. I was not a young man. I wasn't some 30-year-old guy. I was 59. I had one meeting. And I walked away from a good church in a good circumstances with a nice home. And my wife and I moved away from all of our children and all of our grandchildren. Think about that, ladies. I just took my wife 900 miles away from every one of her children and all of her grandchildren. Now, how'd she do that? She said, yes, sir, let's go. See, it's unconditional. 
If I'm going to yield myself, it's going to be unconditional. I'm going to surrender and say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want? This is a whole lot tougher than making sure, you, ladies, you don't wear pants. Amen. This is way tougher because, you know, well, women look good in dresses. I'm sorry, but they do. Women don't look good when they dress like men. Men are ugly. Why women marry men is beyond me. I, I, look, I don't get it. We are an ugly lot. We are. Just, well, look at yourself in the mirror. Come on, fellas. I don't know what you're laughing about. You, you, you ain't that good a catch. Come on, man. <laughs> Women marry us. We're basically ugly creatures. I mean, you know, God made Eve. She was beautiful. She was wonderful. We don't know what Adam looked like. You know, seriously, think about it. No hope, no hope. Surrender. What does God want you to do? Are you willing to do and be what God wants you to be? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord. I present myself. What do you want? You tell me and I'll do it. Second rule. Third rule. Substance. Do you know that everything I own belongs to God. The idea of yielding is to give up all. I think that this is the proof of the first two, is I give up all my substance. My substance is his. He wants it, he can have it. I really have a hard time with people who, have a, who, who, who will not tithe. That bothers me. It just bothers me. What's your problem here? God died for you? And, he, and, and you see, a tithe is a requirement. You don't start giving until after your tithe. You don't give a tithe. You have a responsibility to put it in. I, I, and I, I just don't get it. All that I have belongs to him. If he wants it, all he's got to do is ask for it. Amen. I have a preacher friend of mine in Indiana. He's had a really bad year. Really bad year. He has a tough year. And then just recently... Uh, about a month, month and a half ago, his son, who has a great deal of physical and mental problems, uh, wrecked his car, destroyed it. And, and there's, there was only public liability and public damage on the vehicle. The guy doesn't have any car. And, and I heard about it. He's a good friend. He's been a good friend for 45 years. And you don't have friends that last that long. I don't have friends that last anywhere near that long. And, uh, and he'd been a good friend for all those years. And I told my wife about the situation, and I said to her, I said, you know, we, we ought to do something to help. And she said, well, why don't we give him our van? Okay, I wanted to help, but not that much. Okay, and uh, we have two vehicles. Uh, we have a, uh, a, a, a newer vehicle, a 2023 uh, Kia Carnival. I, I put 45,000 miles on a vehicle every year driving. And I got a 2019. Now, I got payments on the Kia, obviously. And the, I've got a Dodge 2019 with 120,000 miles on it, uh, but it's paid for. It's all paid off. And she says, and I take the one and leave the other one home for her. She says, why don't we give him that vehicle? Well, I hadn't thought about that. Don't you just hate it when your wife's more spiritual than you are? 
I said, well, how are you going to get around? She said, I'll manage. She said, you know, people in the church can come get me for church. I don't go much anywhere. Why don't we give them that vehicle? Well, that's a whole lot more than I planned on giving him. And, I, I, and, and, you know, I felt terrible because it never crossed my mind to give him that vehicle. So we were with him. I preached a, a, a meeting for him, uh, three or four days and meeting, uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when we were in Indiana. And I told him, I said, listen, my wife and I have decided that we're going to give you our van. Okay? It's 2019. He said, what? I said, we're going to give you our van. I said, you know, you need a vehicle, and you bought this old piece of junk uh, and that's worthless, and the air conditioning doesn't work, and, you know, you got to have air conditioning, man. I'm telling you, how can you suffer? How did they get by without air conditioning years ago? I don't know. I don't understand that. But anyway, uh, I said, so we're going to give you our van. He said, well, no, 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 you can't do that. I said, well, yeah, I can. It's paid for. You know, I just signed the title and handed it to you. It's yours. And... Uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my car here and, and, and then I'll take your van. I said, I don't want your car because I'd have to spend $1,000 to fix the air conditioning unit. I live in Oklahoma. I am not getting a car without air conditioning in Oklahoma. It's 100 degrees through the month of August. And, and, and I mean through the month of August. And I said, so it's going to cost me money to give you my van? What? This is stupid. And uh, <laughs> I'm not doing that. You keep your car. I'll just give him my van. Couldn't get him to take it. He really couldn't. But here's the thing I'm pointing out to you. My substance is not mine. It's his. And if he needs it, he can have it. That is a proof that your heart belongs to him. We had a uh, a couple years ago, we had a a singing group come in and called the Wolfhams. They just started into... uh, 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 in, into the issue of evangelism uh, that he preaches and sings. They're a very good family. Uh, it's about, I don't know, 20 or 30 of them. Uh, you know, after, after four kids, it's just a crowd, all right? Who knows how many people are sitting at the dinner table. Isn't that right? I mean, after four, who cares anymore? And uh, except the wife, obviously. But uh, uh, how'd you like to be Job's wife? 20 kids. Ow! Oh, man, it's awful. Anyway, um, so... Uh, the Lord laid on my heart to give them $500. I said, okay, well, that's about all I had left in the checking account. So I wrote a check for $500. I pulled him aside and I handed it to him. Amen. And then I proceeded to walk out of the auditorium. Uh, Corey Raleigh, uh, some of you, uh, you support him. I believe he's been up here. Um, very few people come up here. So, you know, he, you know if, you, if he's been up here, you know him. And Corey Raleigh came in the auditorium at the same time. He came over and said, Brother Harvin, come here. He said, Lord's laid on my heart to give you a check. And the check was for $500. I told Corey afterwards, he said, you know, he said, we could have just saved the time and I could just wrote the check to, the, to that family and we wouldn't have had to do all this. He said, no, no, the blessing's there. And a few minutes later, the pastor came up to me and said, uh, one of the pastors here is given a check he wants me to give to you. We'll, we'll run it through the church for $5,000. Now, I'm thoroughly convinced if I hadn't given the 500, none of that other would have happened. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. But first, first, your substance has to belong to him. And if it doesn't, don't expect him to bless. 
And then the last thing, and I'm done, and I think I've probably, no, no, I got a few minutes. I'm doing all right. Oh, my goodness. I, that's, usually, that's not usually me. The last thing is a satisfied life. You see, my life is not my own. It's his. And I live my life for him. You say, well, you're a preacher. That's different. Why is that different? Why don't you live your life for him when you're working in the factory or the grocery store? Somebody told me, you work in a grocery store, isn't that right, brother? Or wherever. You work out wherever you work. Isn't your life his? Isn't what you're doing for him? You're not in the place just to be in the place. There's a reason for you to be there. There are people God wants you to reach that only you can reach. We had a man in our church. His name was Bernie. Bernie was a garbage man. For 34 years, he worked the back end of a garbage truck. Okay? Bernie was not a very smart man. He really wasn't. Uh, it, it, he was 20 before he graduated from high school, and I think that's because they were just being nice to him. They think, it's time for you to leave. And, uh, but he worked the back end of a garbage truck for 33, 34 years. He could take a bag of garbage and shake it and tell you everything that was in it. He loved his job. He really did. He was good at it. One day, Bernie had a health problem. In the space of two hours in the hospital in Dubuque, he had 150 seizures that they recorded. Now, he'd had seizures before coming into the hospital that day, but he had 150 that they recorded in the hospital in a two-hour period of time. They shipped him immediately down to the University of Iowa, which is a teaching hospital. It's a very high hospital. And Bernie was down there. They had to do surgery on him. It took 14 hours for them, the surgery. He had a brain aneurysm that they had to bring in. And it, was, it was really bad. It was a really, really long surgery. Because of it, he stayed in the hospital, University of Iowa, for just a day short of a month. Okay. So Bernie's in the hospital. Now, in a teaching hospital, they have the main doctor, and then they have the interns that work with the doctor. In the University of Iowa, they usually have three or four interns. I call them ducklings because you can see them walking down the hall. You got the main doctor out front, all these other ones following behind him. I call them ducklings. That's a, they didn't like that, but I didn't care. And uh, so they have, and Bernie had four teams of doctors working on him. He had to, the brain, the, the, the heart, the, the medicine, all that. Four different teams of doctors working on him. So it was somewhere, anywhere from 10 to 15 doctors that were involved with him. So they would, they would come in and they would make their rounds and oftentimes they would come in at the same time. And I would, I would be there and Bernie, would, he'd have them come in. He'd say, okay, everybody, everybody come in. Everybody join hands. They join hands and like, okay, bow your head, we're going to pray. So he'd bow his head. And they'd all pray together. And he would pray the gospel unto these doctors. And after about four or five days, they'd all come in, join hands, bow their head. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. I'm Here's these, these guys. It, this is a garbage man. This is a garbage man laying in the bed. Okay? And he's got doctors who have more letters after their name than in their name. Okay? He's got the third-ratest 
the third rated brain surgeon in the world, bowing his head and praying in the room. He's got to all come in. Everybody bow, grab hands, bow your head, and then he'd go through the gospel and pray. I'd have never been able to get into the, what would you call it, the cul-de-sac or the housing complex where most of these doctors live because they make way too much money and they have guarded gates. I'd never get in. But God took a garbage man, a garbage man, to reach some of the highest individuals, highest educated individuals in the world. He took a garbage man to witness to him. But to get him to that place, he had to give him a brain aneurysm. A very, very painful thing. An awful thing. But to fulfill God's will, he had to send him through that to reach those doctors. Bernie was telling me the story about the main doctor, this brain surgeon. He said he came in one day with a very serious look on his face, and he said, Bernie, I need to talk to you. And Bernie thought, oh, great, I'm dying, this is it. Get your casket, I'm finished, it's all over with. And the doctor looked at him, and tears come into his eyes. He said, Bernie, will you pray for me? My wife's leaving me. Would you pray for me? Here is this man with all this education, with all this money, talking to a garbage man and asking his help from a garbage man. God has a purpose. I lead a satisfied life. If I died today, I'd be satisfied with my life because I put my life in his hands and my life is his. Whose life is yours? Yield ye yourselves under righteousness. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. You don't have to let that anymore. The first step of sanctification is your heart. Who does it belong to? Whose is it? God just needs some more garbage men. That's it. When you ask God, why did I go through this? Well, because there's somebody that God wants you to reach. Don't miss the opportunity. And stop feeling sorry for yourself because your life is not your own. Amen? Amen? We read that somewhere. I read that somewhere. That my life is not my own because I've been bought with a price. My life's not my own. It belongs to him. Yes, sir. What's your orders? What do you have for me to do? We, we preach a lot on our, son, our sonship, which is great. We are sons of God. We preach to people about our service, which you ought to serve God. Well, we don't preach much about our soldiering. We don't preach much about that. But that is scriptural. And that is part of our sanctification. Before you ever get to the outside, God starts on the inside so that the outside will be exactly what he wants. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the day. Thank you for these people. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll work on hearts. I pray you be in the services now. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.